Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be accepted to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice, But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I will please keep that passage in front of you. We'll be spending most of our time in that passage, but we will uh, bounce around in Malachi a little bit. Uh, Let's pray. Gracious Lord, please be uh, working in us by your word and by your spirit to make us more like your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, how do you deal with the inevitable? What do you do when you find yourself in a situation where there's some event coming that you can't avoid? Uh, When you were a kid, it was that moment just before you got a smack. Uh, Would you just tense up and wait for it? Would you try and outrun your parents? Um, I'd just start crying before anything had happened and hope for the best. (laughs) Maybe you've felt it as a student. Uh, Study week, exams are coming. Uh, Do you procrastinate? Do you just sit there stressing out? Do you drop out of the unit? Do you drop out of uni altogether? (laughs) Or do you study? Do you get prepared? How do you deal with the inevitable? In this passage, Malachi challenges Israel. He confronts them with the inevitability of the Lord's coming. And he says that Israel must answer that question. How are you going to deal with the inevitable? Well, we're just around the corner from Christmas where we'll celebrate the coming of Jesus. It'll be on us in a few weeks. Uh, But for Israel, it will be more than a few weeks before they see Jesus come. Even though it's just a few flicks of the page, uh, it'll be 400 years until the event that we celebrate at Advent. And so God tells Israel, he reminds Israel that he is coming and as we remember the Lord's coming this Christmas, I hope we won't just look back at what at Jesus' first coming, but we'll look forward to Jesus' second coming. I hope that the challenge Malachi throws down to Israel will challenge us as well. Let's see what Malachi says to Israel about the Lord's coming. First of all, the Lord is coming and he's wearied. Secondly, the Lord is coming with justice and the Lord is coming, so fear him. The Lord is coming, and he is wearied. The Lord is coming. Telling an Israelite that in the time of Malachi should be totally unnecessary. 
Israel's story, their whole history, has been all about God. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament tells the story of God's work in the world, of how time and time again the Lord acted on Israel's behalf. It tells us how he raised up messengers for Israel, messengers to warn Israel, to encourage Israel, and to tell Israel the promises of God, promises that one day a Messiah would come. And so as the Old Testament story unfolds, the promises of Promises of God pile up and up and up. And so far, God has been nothing but faithful in keeping those promises to Israel. Israel, the Lord is coming. Does God really need to say it again? It'd be like calling up Santa Claus on December 23rd and warning him he might be in for a bit of a late one tomorrow night. His whole year has been building up to this night. Surely he'll be prepared. Surely he won't be caught off guard. The whole of Israel's history has been one big arrow pointing forward to this coming Messiah. Surely they won't be caught off guard. Surely they won't become complacent again. And at the first chance they get, Israel have become complacent towards God. And God is wearied. Have a look at verse 17 with me. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? Israel are accusing God. You see, the problem is that Israel have a very rigid view of how God should act in their world. If you do the wrong thing, that's bad. God will punish you. You'll be sick and you'll be poor. And if you do the right thing, that's good. God will bless you. You'll have health and you'll have wealth. One historian calls this way of thinking the orthodox equation. He puts it like this. Israel as a whole clung to the orthodox equation in its most stringent form. Sin leads to physical punishment, righteousness to material well-being in this life. And so when God doesn't fit into their cookie-cutter idea of how, they should, of how he should be acting, they accuse him with their words and with their actions. What Israel should be doing is looking back, looking back at God and the way he's acted, looking back at his character, thinking about what he has done for Israel in the past. But instead of looking back, they're looking around at their experience. They're doing what we all do, and they're thinking to themselves, what would I do if I was God? If I was God, I'd be blessing me a lot more than God is. How couldn't I? I used to offer sacrifices all the time. I'd always be bringing my best lamb to be sacrificed. I didn't lie. I didn't sleep around. I used to pay my workers the wages they deserved. I honoured my father and mother. I always used to give 10% of everything that I earned. I used to think God really cared about that stuff. But my neighbour never does any of that stuff. God seems to love that guy. He's got it all. He's got the wives, the sons, the daughters. He's got stacks of land. He's got herds of cattle. I used to jump through all of God's hoops. But God doesn't seem to care. Maybe God's changed. Maybe God's just not as big on that stuff anymore. 
And actually, am I sure that God even exists? I know that Grandma Rachel and Grandpa Levi used to tell me about all the things that the Lord did for them. But they're pretty old-fashioned. And if I was God, I'd definitely be blessing me more than God is. And so they accuse God. The Israelites were meant to be bringing God unblemished sacrifices. But we read back in chapter 1 that they bring blind lambs. They bring sick lambs, lambs with spots on them. The Israelites were meant to be dealing fairly with each other. Instead, we read in this passage, they lie, they cheat, they don't pay fair wages. The Israelites were meant to be faithful in their marriages, marrying only amongst themselves. This was meant to be a sign of God's faithfulness to them and their faithfulness to God. Instead, they're sleeping around, divorcing and remarrying, taking foreigners as their husbands and wives. And God is weary. It's a strange thing, isn't it, to think of God being wearied? Just to be clear, he isn't wearied in the way that I get wearied after I go for a long bike ride. He's wearied in the way that my mum gets wearied after she's asked me to do the dishes. She sees me jumping up to do them, but 90 seconds later, as I'm on my way to my room, she hears me telling her, I'm just letting everything soak. (laughs) And she feels weary. She knows how this is going to go. When the Lord rescues Israel, they complain. When the Lord makes great promises to them, promises that he doesn't need to make, promises that are for Israel's good, Israel whined that God isn't keeping his promises exactly the way that they thought he should. When he gives them crystal clear instructions on how they can live for him, they do more than just ignore him. They look at wicked people with material wealth and they say, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. He is pleased with them. When he miraculously intervenes time and time and time again, bringing Israel peace, hope, and freedom. They look around and say, where is the God of justice? How have you wearied him, you ask? How have you not wearied him? Uni Church, the Lord is coming again, and he is wearied. We might not be bringing blind lambs with us to Uni Church, uh, but we weary the Lord in other ways. We might see our uni mates getting better marks than us on assignments because they've copied past reports or lied about the results that they've got. But when we see that, we shouldn't think that God has stopped doing his job or that somehow his character has changed. When we follow our friends into lifestyles of excessive partying, of getting drunk to puff up our social standing, we might get away with it. It might appear to be going quite well for us, We might be quite pleased with ourselves. We might be pleased with how well we're juggling serving a youth group on a Friday night with our drunken behaviour on Saturday night. But when we act that way, it's like we're saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. He's pleased with them. When we go to work tomorrow and our colleagues make lewd jokes, when they're passing around pictures that we shouldn't look at, and passing around gossip that we shouldn't participate in. When we as Christians decide to join in because we think that God doesn't seem to mind that other people disobey him, we are in danger of wearying the Lord. We are saying, where is the God of justice? 
The Lord is coming and he is weary. The Lord is coming with justice. Well, the Lord is coming and he isn't coming for a picnic, Malachi says. When the Lord comes, he's going to come with justice. And Malachi says it's going to be unbearable. For everyone, not just for the pagans, not for Israelites' enemies, but for Israel too, for the religious leaders, the very ones who are calling for God to come. Israel have done that other thing that we all do, which is they've put the benchmark, they've put the standard for righteousness just below where they are. God won't punish me. I'm basically a good person. And Malachi warns Israel, the Lord is coming with justice and he is coming for you. Have a look at verse 1 and 2 with me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of his covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And later on in verse 5, so I will come to put you on trial. Israel thinks that they're in the witness box, that they're testifying against their enemies. But Malachi says they've got it all wrong. They aren't going to be sitting in the witness box. They're going to be sitting in the dock. They won't be testifying against their enemies. God will be testifying against them. And Israel are not going to like the outcome because the one testifying against them is also the judge. We read in verse 1 that they are seeking the Lord, that they desire his coming. Israel are relishing the day when the Lord comes. On that day, they think, they'll get to watch their enemies be swept away by the flood of the Lord's wrath. What they don't realise is that they're standing at the bottom of the riverbed. A few years ago, me and my friend Nick went travelling around Europe uh, and we had our share of mishaps, but the only time we came close to having something go seriously wrong was when we were in Geneva. You see, in Switzerland, they drive on the right-hand side of the road. And for those of you who live in the western suburbs, in Australia, we drive on the left-hand side of the road. (laughs) So we've just arrived in Geneva. Our hotel's just off the main street. Uh, It's a big highway, dual carriageway, but there's an island in the middle, so we're only going halfway across. So as you do, we come up to the road, we look right, it's all clear, there's no cars coming, and we step out onto the road. Luckily, the cars in Switzerland have pretty good brakes, uh, and the sound of screeching tyres sent us diving back onto the sidewalk. The problem wasn't that we didn't look for any cars, it's that we were looking the wrong way. And we did it more than once. Uh, By lunchtime, that had nearly happened three more times, because it was so hardwired into our heads to look that way for cars. The Israelites are so used to being God's people, they have it hardwired into their heads to be looking elsewhere for God's judgment to fall, to look to their enemies. But Malachi says, you are looking the wrong way. They don't realise as they look elsewhere for God's judgment that it's bearing down on them. Israel are accusing God of not caring about justice anymore. Come on, God of justice, where are you? Why does my pagan neighbour have more blessings than I do? Do your thing. Deliver on those promises you made about bringing justice. Where are you? Are you even coming? And God says in Malachi chapter 3, Don't you worry. I'm coming. 
The Lord's judgment will be swift and brutal. No one can stand up against it, Malachi says. You can read about the awesomeness and completeness of the Lord's justice in plenty of other places in the Bible. But Malachi here wants to focus on the result of God's justice. He says that the result will be to refine. Have a look at verse 2 and 3 with me. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. To refine something is to free it from its impurities. The result of the carbonate in Geneva would have been to mangle, to obliterate, uh, would have been total destruction. But God's justice isn't like that. He wants to refine, to claim. It's not about revenge. If it was, Israel wouldn't be complaining anymore because Israel wouldn't be around anymore. God wouldn't have warned Noah that a flood was coming and that he should build an ark. He wouldn't have sent Moses back into Egypt to rescue his people out of there. The result of God's justice isn't just to clean house, it's to clean his people. Malachi says that the result will be righteousness. Rather than obliterating his people, God wants to make them acceptable. Let's read the second half of verse 3 and verse 4. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. And we see this exact idea in the person of Jesus. In Matthew 21, we read about Jesus clearing out the temple. He kicks out the people who are using the temple for buying and selling, for personal profit rather than for worship. Jesus comes with justice. But in the very next verse of that chapter, we see him healing the blind and the lame, making them clean. And we see this ultimately in Jesus' death and resurrection. The Lord comes with justice to punish his people. But Jesus mercifully takes the punishment for us. And in doing so, he cleans us. Jesus' death shows us that the result of God's justice, it's not just to wipe away, but to refine. His death and resurrection clean us, make us acceptable to God. Jesus is that messenger of the covenant that Malachi tells Israel about in verse 2. He has come, and he has come with justice. The Lord is coming, so fear him. Malachi has warned the Israelites that that the Lord is wearied, and he's warned them that he's coming with justice. And so Malachi says, fear him. God has a laundry list of accusations against the Israelites. They're sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, defrauders, oppressors. It goes on and on. But Malachi says that all of these issues have one problem, one root. The heart of the issue is that they do not fear God. Israel's conduct is shameful. They accuse God, they question his character. They question his existence, they disobey his commandments. And it betrays what they think of God. It's there in verse 5. They do not fear him. Malachi knows that Israel's 
attitude towards God will shape their actions towards God. So he challenges that attitude. Fear God, he says. Half the fun of playing uh, car racing games on your computer is that you can do things you would never do in a real car. You can drive on the wrong side of the road. You can smack into other cars. You can say how many times you how many times you can roll your car before it comes to a stop. You don't drive that way in real life because you fear the consequences. You can get fined. You can hurt yourself. You can hurt other people. So far this year, almost 150 people have died on WA roads alone. You are right to fear your car, to fear what it can do. And that shapes the way that you drive. And to be clear, Malachi is talking more than just about awe. Uh, he doesn't, he isn't just warning Israel that they should respect God. I once heard it put like this. The word fear is probably best translated as the word fear. It says, be afraid. Malachi knows that Israel's attitude will shape their actions towards God. So he urges Israel, fear God. The New Testament says the same. God's standard of holiness is still much higher than yours or mine. And the Lord is coming again. He's coming to bring justice. Jesus has come, and by dying on the cross, the Lord has incredibly punished our sin in Jesus. But he's coming back. This time, he's coming back for good. You cannot stand against him. So you should fear him. And if you fear the Lord, your actions will be shaped by that attitude. As you grow in fear of the Lord, you'll become less and less like the Israelites in verse 5, dabbling in horoscopes, lusting after each other, lying to each other. As you grow in fear of the Lord, you'll become more like the Lord Jesus himself. And the hope held out in the book of Malachi is exactly the same hope held out in the New Testament the hope that Christians hang on to today. Jump forward with me to Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I'll spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. The thing that separates God's treasured possessions from everyone else is that they fear him. And Malachi says this will be clear because they will serve him. Uni Church, the Lord is coming. He's coming with justice. So fear him. Worship him properly. Be building each other up. Treating each other fairly. Caring for the widows and the fatherless. For those who are less fortunate among us. Because the Lord is coming. So fear him. Well, exams are done, summer's here, the Christmas lights are going up, 
as we think forward to December 25th, it all seems so palatable. The carols, the family around the table, the baby Jesus in the manger. But Malachi helps us to keep the focus of Christmas on Christ as we celebrate the Lord Almighty himself coming. We see that he is wearied. He is coming with justice. And he is coming, so fear him. Don't forget that this baby has come to fulfill promises. And the promise of Malachi is one of refining justice. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears, Malachi asks. He might look small and sweet now, but we are told that we should fear him. Malachi wanted to challenge the Israelites. The Lord is coming. And tonight I want to challenge you. Are you thinking about Jesus in this way? As well as celebrating the day of Jesus coming, are we thinking forward to the day when Jesus will come again? He might be another 400 years. He might be here before Christmas. But he is coming. And he is coming with justice. So we should fear him. On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you have come and that you have mercifully punished our sin in Jesus. Please help us to be on guard as we wait for your coming again. Please help us to know that you are coming with justice. Please help us to fear you. And Lord, would that, be, would that fear of you be causing us to serve you more and more? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.